welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and returning to the show today is Dr. Vanya Apkarian. He's a professor of neuroscience and director of the Center of Translational Pain Research at the Feinberg School of Medicine at Northwestern University in Chicago. He's been a neuroscientist for over three decades and has conducted groundbreaking research into the nature of chronic pain and opiate addiction related to chronic pain. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Um, I'm excited again to have Dr. Karen back. He was on the podcast last week and he has a lab in Chicago that's been one of the most, one of the most um, important labs, I think, that has put chronic pain on the map. He has documented the subjective experience of pain on objective findings on MRI scans. And so for those of you suffering from chronic pain that get very frustrated because your physicians are saying, well, there's nothing really wrong. I just wrote an article and it was called Medically Unexplained Symptoms, which is a term that's come into vernacular the last five to 10 years of practice. And I wrote an article that's actually medically explained symptoms. Every symptom in your body can be explained by either research MRI scan, your body's neurochemistry, information, whatever you want to call it. There's always a reason for symptoms. They don't just occur. So the term medically unexplained symptoms is a deadly term. It takes away hope. It also allows physicians to say, you know, nothing I can do. You have to live with it maybe the rest of your life. And it's a devastating diagnosis. What Dr. Epicurean has done, he's an engineer. He has a lab in Chicago that's very meticulous. And with his engineering background, he looks at data. And what he's been able to do is sort of drown out the noise of the world and just look at the data and objectify these subjective experiences. So what I want to talk, I will let you talk, Dr. Epicurean, here in a second. Yes, yes. I'm just excited to be here again. So, yes. <laughs> I'm just excited to have him here because I just learned a lot myself in the first conversation. But the bottom line is he's going to discuss some objective findings in the scan that actually can predict outcomes. He's done this for a few years. He presented this data to us in Seattle a couple of years ago, and we were just fascinated with it. And so, Vanya, um, welcome back. I guess I'll let you talk now. <laughs> Hello again. And I'm happy to discuss again my favorite topic. And, and this is, you know, mechanisms of chronic pain. Uh, what determines chronic pain? What, what controls chronic pain? What are, the, what are the critical parameters of chronic pain? And this is something we have been pursuing for the last 25 years at least. Uh, and, uh, and I'm quite happy to say that we have made some progress in the field. Uh, when we started this research, there was nothing known about chronic back pain in the brain. In fact, this, the simple assumption was, well, your back is in pain, therefore your brain is going to reflect it, and that's all you need to know. And once you fix the back, everything will, will be better. Well, we, we are still waiting to get the, the back fixed, and in a sense, uh, that just has not panned out. And instead, as I mentioned last time, the, 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 the evidence all points much more to the brain, brain mechanisms underlying the chronification of pain. And so last time we discussed signatures of the state of being in chronic pain, of moving from an acute pain state to a chronic pain state. This time, I guess we will discuss predictors, risk factors 
that actually put people into, uh, into the trajectory of either recovering from uh, the, the initial pain state or becoming a chronic pain. In a sense, the, the standard, I think, clinician knows very well that people with various types of injuries that may lead to chronic pain have very little explanatory value as to the trajectory of the patient that, that will take. And, you know, and in the sense, the big majority of acute back pain just resolves, right? You know, I get, I get acute back pain every time I play tennis. I'm a terrible tennis player. I've been playing it for 30 years. And, and every time I go out to the court, the next two, 24 hours to three or four days, I have back pain and then it resolves. In fact, I think of that back pain as evidence that I've done something good in a sense. I've done some exercise. It's a stupid idea. That's, you know, I should not be hurting myself when I do good exercise. I should be doing, doing it without the pain, uh, obviously. Anyway, it's a, it's the, but the point is that the majority of back pain resolves. On the other hand, a small number of them develop chronic pain, but that number is large enough that it's a worldwide epidemic that, you know, again, uh, of the majority of chronic pain in the world is chronic back pain. And before we started studying them, we knew nothing except that the back is hurting. And so you need to fix the back. And so people were doing all kinds of things to fix the back and the, and the pain was not going away. It still is not going away. Right. Well, I mean, what we talked about in the last thing, which is really clear, is that <clears throat> chronic pain in any part of the body, but what has been actually, I'll use the word genius in your experience, is you focused on back pain as the primary thing, just to keep that variable in place. And what has happened, you present us to in Seattle, that there's a, there's a pattern of brain imaging that predicts chronic pain a high percent of the time. In other words, if you have you know 10 people with back pain, that the people that have this particular imaging finding have a high chance of developing back pain, chronic back pain, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So could you um, describe how that whole process came about, what that connection actually is and how it does yeah. predict chronic pain? Yeah, so, so I mean, it's very simple. I last time I sort of uh, uh, described this study that it's part of the same study that we have unpacked the same data from different dimensions. In a sense, last time we were discussing again when some people be, uh, continue to have the pain while others their pain goes away, their brain activity uh, is shifting away from sensory areas to emotional areas. Right. Now we ask the opposite question and say, okay, so these people, so if I have this group of subjects, 50% of them are still in the same pain one year later, in fact, all the way three, three years later, while the other 50% have essentially are happy with life, they've recovered essentially. Now, if I look at the brain, at the beginning, at time zero, at the first time we scanned them, when their pain was the same, when the duration of their pain was the same, they were not different in their pain. Can I find markers that will predict the long-term outcome? Now, prediction is a very hard topic, and I have to quote Niels Bohr, the father of quantum physics, who said, prediction is hard. 
in fact, prediction is, is even harder when you try to predict the future. So this is exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to predict the future of literally these patients who entered the study, who a year later or three year later, year later, years later, will still be in pain versus not. And in fact, if we were not successful, you would, I would not be on this podcast, obviously. Uh, and so we can, we can find both functional and anatomical evidence for it. Functional, remember last time again, we discussed a little bit about functional MRI. And in this case, this was a network type analysis in a way very simple. We identify that the amount of information shared between two brain areas is much higher in people who in the future develop chronic pain versus the ones who are not. Okay, so this is information sharing between two brain areas. I'm gonna come back as to what those areas were and what the significance of, of that is. But the simple fact that this information exists at time zero says there is already a physiological risk factor that predestinates, predetermines your, your path into the future. Now, this was a functional analysis. The other analysis we, we did was anatomical, structural. In this case, we were looking at the white matter. Again, I mentioned last time, we can identify the, the, the white matter properties, how much myelin, how much, how thick are these white matter pathways between different groups of subjects. So, so can you define white matter for the audience really quickly? So white matter are the actual connections. These are the axons we talk about that connect one neuron to the other neuron in the brain. There are mil bil billions of these, of these axons in the brain. Right. And, and uh, uh, in an MRI, they in fact look white, which is what they're called white matter. It's, okay. it's simply a color distinction, uh, but they're actually the, 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 the connections. Uh, of, of long distance connections in the brain between, between like the frontal cortex and the, and the back of the brain, the visual cortex, for example, these pathways of, of connectivity. Now, if we simply look at these path connectivity pathways, again, in, this, in these patients at time zero, where their pain is the same, uh, and, the, and, and compared the two groups that a year later, are becoming are, are different between them. We see that the white matter properties are also different. So the here we have properties are what are different between the two groups. Okay. So uh, the the difference again the exact what the difference really says is complicated and it's hard to unpack. Uh, but some of the same pathways that functionally were determining the outcome. Uh, the white matter tracks are also determining the outcome in a sense. So the white matter tracks are literally the anatomical structures through which information is flowing from one brain area to the other, right? And the functional is the literally the how the information is being shared. So, so what you're saying, there's two parts of the brain that were consistently active in people who are going to develop chronic pain, but you also say that the connection between them, the white matter was also active. Is I hear, is, uh, am I understanding that correctly? It's not active because the white matter we not, not active, but I mean that you could see it. You, we can see that it's different. Yeah. Okay. That that it's abnormal, uh, uh, and and 
and its abnormality, I'm, I'm not even sure what direction it is anymore. I don't remember, I'm sorry. Uh, but but uh, again, these structural differences in the axonal properties uh, were predictive of the long-term outcome. So both functional, physiological, and anatomical properties together, or each one of them separately, significantly powerfully predicts the long-term outcome. So you're and, seeing that, and that, very simply, to me, is the best evidence that the risk for chronic pain, the risk for chronic pain is a neurological risk. It's a brain risk. Right. Okay. So. so you're saying that if I come, if I have that particular connection to my brain, in other words, a couple of areas that have lit up and are connected by these axons that is active, if I develop a new back injury, there's a certain percent chance, there's a high, high chance I would develop chronic pain, correct? And in fact, that chance is somewhere between 80 to 100%. Really? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry, say that again. So if I injure my back and I have that particular connection, that this new injury will become chronic 80 to 100% of the time? Well, the probability of me being correct in my decision is about 80 to 100%, yes. Now, that does not mean that interventions cannot change that, path, that, 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 that trajectory, right? This is, in, this is in the absence of any, any interventions, any systematic interventions, but yes, it is amazing how strong these predictions are. Wow! And, we, and that that those are uh, those are scary numbers. I agree. In biology, anything above eighty percent is almost unbelievable. So you need to take this with a with a you know whatever. You need to be skeptical, but but the data is 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 pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I will will say with my interaction with <clears throat> Bonnie here is that. In the audience, we ask him lots of leading questions, and unless he knows the answer, he just won't answer them. <laughs> it's quite remarkable. You just say, no, I don't know that, or I can't say that, and we want to tease it out of you because we know you think these thoughts, but you're simply not going to say anything that you're not sure of. So to me, it's an incredibly powerful statement that you, have a, that you can predict chronic pain, you know, 80% of the time or higher, and so... It doesn't mean, again, I want to make sure that you just say this, that I will say with our, we have a group of clinicians, a growing group of clinicians that's been very successful in treating chronic pain, but we do understand the neurological nature of it. As we mentioned on the, on the last podcast, that the um, International Association of Pain has actually now acknowledged that chronic pain is a neurological disorder, largely to the, due to the work of Dr. Epkarian, who's been a huge pioneer in this process. And onto without his work, leading the way, we just wouldn't be anywhere close to where we are right now. And so we're now coming up with treatment protocols that allow you to shift, change, whatever you want to do, induce neuroplasticity to change these circuits. But if they're there and active, you can't just treat it structurally when it's a neurological problem. And I'll say this again, the success rate of a back fusion for chronic back pain is about 20%. That's not even placebo. And we also know the data shows that if you actually do surgery in any part of the body, especially back surgery, in the presence of chronic pain, you can induce or worsen chronic pain 40 to 60% of the time. In other words, you have a fired up brain system. And if you have a hernia repair in the presence of chronic neck pain, you can induce pain at the hernia site between 40 to 60% of the time. 
and 10% of the time it becomes permanent. So that's a big deal. So you can't, so you have to be really careful unless you calm down the nervous system or do whatever you have to do to optimize the chances of an outcome. You can't just jump into surgery to solve chronic pain when it's a neurological disorder. It can't work, it doesn't work. And by ongoing structural interventions for a neurological problem, we're really hurting population. That's my little lecture. So I'll, I'll get off my pedestal for a second here. So we'll go back to Dr. Ed Kieran, who we're really here to listen to him. So you have this circuit that predicts, or set of circuits that predicts a onset of chronic pain. This is a neurological problem. Um, you're taking a subjective experience and you can see it objectively. So my question is, you've mentioned this, there's two parts of the brain that are active. There's, so it's consistently two parts of the brain that are active. Well, okay. well that was our initial, initial study. In fact, one, when in, in subsequent studies, we have extended that circuitry. That circuitry is quite extensive. Uh, okay. in humans, uh, uh, and it is fundamentally all a very large parts of your brain limbic regions. You know, these are the brain emotional, motivational, learning, memory accumulation circuitry that, that are the drive and their interaction with the cortex is the really with, the, cortex. with the frontal cortex. Right with the frontal cortex is really determining these risks. And the risks are both anatomical, structural, and functional. And in fact, we even have some evidence that some of these are in fact even related to, to genetics as well. Very, very, very minimal data, but, but we have that, that evidence as well. So, so, so it's an extended network um, and, but, Importantly, this network is involved both in learning and in uh, motivation and in a sense, and, and the dopamine circuitry is, is a fundamental part of, of, this, of this system. The, uh, the dopamine circuitry? The brain dopamine circuitry, which in fact controls cortical synapses, learning events, in a sense it is modulating it, it gives value to to your you know psychological assessment of your environment for example so okay. this is the, the circuitry that's that's that that is creating these risk factors okay now i mean and i don't know how where we want to go with this but let, let me go to what is clinically perhaps most exciting to the patient themselves right so uh, in a way, um, uh, this idea is that uh, you have an injury, and we did with this injury, this circuitry starts uh, making decisions whether to, to to bifurcate one way versus the other. So now we think of this of the, there is that there is a critical time window within which the system is reorganizing. It's reorganizing the brain, the cortical processes. And that reorganization is, has a, a time window within which it's happening. And we know that once the chronic pain state is established, the patients know this much better than I do, it becomes very hard to, to reverse it. So there is a reorganization process that's happening, a time-dependent activity synaptic process in the brain that's, that's creating a new brain state. 
a new brain state, which we discussed last time, in a sense, uh, its right. signatures. Um, so that gives us a very exciting idea. The idea is that there is a window within which you know, uh, interventions are going to be much more successful than before or after. And anyway, what's, the, what's the time frame of that window, just ballpark? So the, I, we think it's between, between three to six months. Oh, you do? Yeah. It's within a three to six months window from this acute, subacute state. And in a sense, once after a year or so, uh, interventions are going to be much harder to do. Now, we have evidence for that both in human studies as well as in animal models. We can show this thing both in animal models as well. You know, we, if we create an animal model for acute, uh, uh, for transition to chronic pain, we can interfere with that transition early on within a few weeks in a rat or a mouse model. But the same intervention a month or two months later simply does not work. So, well, so in a sense, the, a very simple message is find, seek help early on when you are, have symptoms that have the risk of becoming chronic pain. Yeah, I mean, this is a whole nother, maybe maybe we should do one of those Wednesday night lectures again on this because this is a we're, big- We're really busy, David, you and I. <laughs> I know, but I mean, here's the thing that strikes me really hard. I'm just gonna rant again for a second. Is that, okay, so you come in the office, you have back pain, we, you know, we you know, give you a little bit of time, physical therapy, whatever, all of a sudden six months later, you still have back pain. Well, again, by not looking, there, we know clinically there's very significant risk factors for developing chronic pain. And of course, what we need to figure out is the clinical risk factors versus your functional MRI scans with these patterns. But right from the beginning, we know the risk factors clinically. And when we treat these risk factors early on, people don't get chronic pain, or we actually can reverse chronic pain, again, like you said, more dip, with more difficulty by understanding the brain is neurological, you stimulate new circuits or shift, whatever you want to call it, we have ways of actually treating chronic pain effectively, understanding that's a neurological problem. But in medicine, we don't believe you. We sort of, you know, pat you back, you know, say you'll get better. At the same time, your brain's actively developing chronic pain circuitry is really tragic. So that's one of my big things to try to get these messages out into the clinical world is that chronic pain is preventable, is solvable. Yet again, you've said really what we've known for a long time that the earlier you jump on it, the better. Yeah, and, 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 and a corollary to that is given that, you know, this is a, a brain learning circuitry that is involved in this transition from acute to chronic pain, unlearning, is definitely a simple approach to undo chronic pain. And, and, and that mechanism, exactly how to be done, remains something that, David, you have been looking and exploring for many, many years. And we all would like a, a real answer to it if there is a single answer to it. But again, this evidence, in fact, is, is a simple message that it can be reversible because these circuitry right. can be reversed. Yeah, I'd love to talk to you again offline, maybe you talk to your laboratory a little bit because we found out that it's never a single entry, it's always multi-pronged and each person does it differently, but it's always multi-pronged. 
And so for instance, let's take sleep. I don't know if you looked at sleep in your lab yet. Have you looked at sleep at all by chance or not? Yeah, so, no, we look at it regularly in, in all of our patients. Uh, the data is is very complicated, unfortunately. Right. So, so it, you it's, know not, that, it's not simple. Not every chronic pain patient has sleep problems. Not every right. sleep problem is chronic pain. You know, so yeah. Yeah. Right, but so, so that's why we do know that it's always multi-pronged. It's always very individualized based yeah. on the person's whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. But for instance, if somebody's not sleeping with chronic pain, that whatever else we do doesn't really work until we get people to sleep. I mean, yeah. it's just one of those factors we have to deal with, right? Absolutely. So anyway, we're excited about our approach because we see people getting better. But I just want to jump into one final thing here because I can talk to you for hours here. Um, are you willing, uh, I'd like to discuss the osteoarthritis pain just for a second. So I don't know if you know this, I have severe arthritis in both my knees, my right hip. And no, I didn't know what's yeah, yeah. very severe. And like for instance, yesterday I was working out in the yard and you literally can hear my knee creak all the way across the yard, but it doesn't yeah. hurt. Yeah. And the data show this blew me away 10 years ago when I first read the, these multiple research papers that shows there's very little correlation between the severity of arthritis and pain. Blew me away because if the most concrete thing we do in orthopedics is a total knee replacement, they're going, excuse me. And so then we know that the risk factors that not everybody that has a straightforward knee surgery does that well. And so we, I don't want to get into too much discussion here because of time, but you pointed out that this, is it the same link in the brain that predicts outcomes of chronic pain? You said you can predict the outcomes of knee surgery a hundred percent of the time. Yeah, we can. Uh, that data is not quite published yet. We have published some preliminary data from the data set. We have a data set of uh, more 120 patients, I think, which we have followed over uh, six months after surgery, again, doing a brain scan before the surgery okay. and looking at brain properties. And yes, we can predict at about 50% of the variance. That's a huge number again. Right. Uh, of, of the outcome of the knee surgery, not just the outcome, we can predict with that confidence the intensity of the residual pain that these patients will have six months after surgery. How much pain they will continue to have is predictable from their brain properties. Now, the circuitry is not exactly the same. Uh, it has, for example, the cortical component seems to be a little different uh, and the details we are still working it out uh, but the general concept remains the same in a sense that the limbic emotional learning circuitry and its interaction to concrete cortical regions are a priori telling me, independent of however that surgery is done, that I can tell the future of that subject. It's in some ways very scary again. You know, I, I'm becoming a... a a, ma a magician of some sort predicting the future. But really, I mean, what it says is that, again, neurological properties of the brain are at, even in a condition, in a, in a condition where 60 or 70% of the patients have zero pain after the surgery. Right. They have zero pain, uh, right. while, while others have a, a variety of levels of pain. It's, all, it's predictable. A, a large amount of that outcome is predictable prior to the surgery. Well, this is really critical data for, I mean, with back pain, there's lots going on in back pain. But with knee pain from arthritis, we have a really 
it's becoming more so, I would say the last 10 years, but it's a very concrete way of looking at something. Well, if you have bone to bone arthritis, we'll fix it and you'll be fine. That just- Of course, and it's supposed to be the, the best example of a nociceptive pain state, right? And, and of course, the surgeons are very happy that they're successful, but they, again, I mean, one has to say, if I can tell you your risk factor for, for the success of the surgery, and if it, and if you, and, and it as, would you do the surgery if you, right. if I, you know, so that's, you know, it becomes a real clinically important and empowering the patient about decision-making that, yeah. that is absolutely necessary to know. Uh, so you know, the approach that I take clinically is that I'm just going to do what I need to do to, so we call it prehab. We do rehab before every surgery, whether it's knee surgery or back surgery is that we do what the data says of get people sleeping, deal with depression, anxiety, physical conditioning, medication management. We just deal with everything no matter what to optimize the outcome. And our results have been spectacularly better when we do that, just doing what the data says to do. Yeah. So I'd love to be able to correlate these clinical interventions with your predictive value, but here's the deal with knee replacements. The data shows that the overall success rate is about 75%. That's not 100%. It's 70%, yes. In our, yes. in our own data set, it's also 70%. So. Right, so that's not 100%. And the people that do poorly don't do very well. And the younger the patients, the less happy they are with the surgery. So we have a bone bone arthritis. It should be 100% success rate. If the structural issues were the problem, you put in a replacement, it's done technically well. Same thing happens to me in back surgery. You do the perfect operation and they don't get better. In fact, they get often get worse. Yeah. So now you're saying, which is, I'm ex I guess I'm excited and disturbed at the same time. You're saying if I'm going to do your knee surgery and you have this connection, you say there's, I'm sorry, which, the, okay, if, I, if you have that connection in your brain that predicts a poor outcome, and I'm going to do a knee surgery on you, a knee replacement for bone to bone arthritis, what percent chance would, I, would you have of having chronic pain two years from now? Yeah, I don't have all the numbers, unfortunately, David. I'm not going to give you numbers that I don't have again. So, so uh, I, 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 knew, I knew that was coming, by the way. <laughs> I thought I'd just try. Yeah, but it will come. It's coming. I mean, we 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 we're doing these things. We have an, an ongoing. We have one completed study. We have a second ongoing study that's on that that will recruit, I think, 180 subjects again, and so we will have very solid numbers. Uh, these, these, what I'm reporting to you are very pre preliminary observations. Of course, I'm excited that in fact, we can, we can see this. Uh, again, the, the, the standard surgeon, even our orthopedic surgeons are, are going to be really surprised when, when, I, when I tell them, in fact, I can predict the outcome of his, of his surgery. He's going to be really upset with me kind of thing. But but they're co cooperating and I'm not going to tell them anything for the time being. So, right. so keep it between us. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, here's the main message, whether it, I don't care if it's headaches or neck pain or back pain or knee arthritis, whatever it is, when the pain is in your body for more than six to 12 months, let's say 12 months just to be conservative, that there's always a neurological component to the pain, even if there's a structural problem. And then, Ronnie, I think I might have told you this, but I had over 125 patients that had severe spinal stenosis, I mean, very tight stenosis with leg symptoms, all surgical candidates, all in the schedule. I did the prehab process that we did, and they would come in for the final visit to prepare for surgery, and they would cancel the surgery because the pain disappeared. 
Yeah. And I honestly put myself out of business because I could not, I was operating less than 5% of my patients at the end of my career because they kept getting better, even in the presence of structural problems. Blew me yeah. away. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, that's the other important message that again, I, we should emphasize here. Given that this is a learning process, you should be able to unlearn the process. Right. So, so uh, simply, uh, and, and, and I should, okay, plug in about we in fact have been creating this startup specifically designed to do this right. in, in chronic pain patients this is again a multi-dimensional sort of unlearning tool that we've been developing and i'm hoping that and we actually have already preliminary really exciting data which i think is already in, in print somewhere right. um, and in the next few months we will we will test this in a thousand subjects Right. And, so, and trying to see if simply, uh, you know, reinforcement mechanisms uh, uh, can unpack the state of, of, of the chronic pain and give us, you know, non-drug non uh, involved procedures that can change the, the pathway of, of pain suffering. Right. Let me ask you a final question. So I, this is a terminology issue because I, I know we're saying the same thing, but um, I've made a comment for a long time is that you cannot unlearn pain, just like you can't unlearn how to ride a bicycle. And the concept I use is that you create new circuits, detours, in other words, okay, these are, I know how to walk, I can't unlearn how to walk or talk or ride a bicycle, but I can create new circuits through them and around them and detours. Exactly. No, that's, that's absolutely correct. I, and in a sense, when I say unlearn, it's not the right terminology. It's, it's in fact, create new learning that can compensate for the old learning. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And, that, okay, and that's, that's absolutely correct. Right. I mean, what is really exciting for us and which we haven't had a chance to even talk about are some of these, you know, animal studies that we have been doing inspired from the human data that gives us really confidence about this both, uh, 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 circuits and their involvement and their causal causal link to the pain behavior that that we have. Right. Well, I'm excited about, and this has been my mission. And I don't um, I don't want to become a crusader, but honestly, I get tired of seeing so many people badly damaged by unnecessary unnecessary spine surgery. <clears throat> and we watch hundreds and hundreds of patients go pain free. I mean, literally, by understanding the neurological nature of it and relearn relearning or um, creating new circuits around it. And also dealing with the other factors that affect the perception of pain, as you pointed out earlier, that we see people go, they just, they come out of it. And so the data shows only 20% of physicians are comfortable treating chronic pain, or they use the word managing, less than 1% enjoy it. And I'm telling you, if you take somebody who has no hope, totally stuck in what I call the abyss, and you allow them to have the tools actually move forward. And not only do they break out of chronic pain, they thrive. It cannot be a more rewarding process. Yeah. So it would be, whole, I don't know if we'll get to do it in our lifetimes, but it's gonna be really interesting to see this group of clinicians. Everybody has their own style of doing it. Yeah. They'll come to the same general common denominators, which would be interesting to look at from a research standpoint correlating to these clinical approaches with changes in brain activity would be really, really fascinating. It would be really- Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, of course. In, yeah, your spare, in your spare time, of course. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
no, I mean, there's much to be done. I mean, what we have done is simply, uh, you know, open up these questions and there's, and, and in fact, uh, create no, new ways of thinking. And there's a huge amount of uh, future research that needs to be, to be uh, pursued. And of course, we have to rationalize these things, right? We, in a way, can we create rationally, uh, uh, scientifically validated uh, and individualized uh, uh, treatments that we can, in fact, demonstrate that they work. Yep. And, and then, and and I'm certain that we will get there, uh, whether it's in my lifetime or not. I'm not so sure. Yeah, yeah well, I, I agree. Well, Bonnie, thank you again. Of course, we went over again, and we just got warmed up. <laughs> anyway, so I really appreciate your time. I'm excited about it. We, we will talk soon, and there are lots of things to, uh, to continue to consider. So anyway, I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me again. And it's actually always fun to, to discuss this topic, especially with you, David. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Vanya F. Karahan, for being on the show today and for sharing his insights into the mechanisms and predictability of chronic pain. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.thedocjourney.com. Thanks for listening today, and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.